Financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year. And then the inflation data came out, higher than expected. Friends, this isn't going away. It can't. The U.S. is $34 trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher. So you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation, and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They'll help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold, and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. Text STRANGE to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation with gold. Text STRANGE to 989898 now. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG-13. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, Zero Point Energy, Anti-Gravitics, and UFO Propulsion. Uh, my view is that there's an ether, that space is not empty and it's not particles popping in and out of existence. It's ether, which is a substance below the level of particles. I want to tell you about something I discovered recently called carbon-60. I call it the miracle molecule. Now, you might remember an interview I did recently with a researcher, Chris Burris, who's looking to help people who experience pain, inflammation, loss of sleep, or lost mental acuity with his new C60 company, C60Evo.com. He has a product which is a consumable form of carbon-60 called ESS-60 that's been proven in peer-reviewed, published research to extend the lifespan of test rats by 90% while allowing them to live tumor-free. That's pretty amazing. Those rats were given the C60Evo.com formula. The formula is a powerful antioxidant, 172 times more powerful than vitamin C, and it's known to be a powerful anti-inflammatory. C60 is based on Nobel Prize winning chemistry. I highly recommend ESS60, the mighty Aphrodite and I take a tablespoon every morning and we're both pain free and sleeping better than ever. Discover the benefits of carbon 60, I call it the miracle molecule, ESS60 from C60Evo.com. Now, make sure to use the coupon code RS1SPEC. That's R-S-1-S-P-E-C. Buy today at C60Evo.com. That's C60Evo.com. And don't forget the code R-S-1-S-P-E-C. 
SPEC. This product has not been assessed by the FDA and is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure. If you have a medical concern, please consult your healthcare provider. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Monday, late Monday. In fact, you may be hearing this on Tuesday. And I apologized for the the late posting. Uh, The last couple of days, I was with my mom. She's 94. And on Wednesday, she fell and broke a rib. Spent a couple of nights in hospital, but she's home now. And I'm home now. Back in studio, obviously. Uh, She's in pain, but she's moving around on her own. And I think, quite frankly, she's enjoying all the attention as her five children take turns sleeping over, making sure she takes her medication on time, getting her meals. Uh, She'll bounce back, God willing. And I'll probably have to head over to her house again in the next couple of days and take another shift. So I'm going to dip into the old audio archives. Here's part one of a two-part conversation I had with Canadian ufologist Victor Vigiani and the brilliant interdisciplinary scientist, Dr. Paul LaViolette. Enjoy. In Secrets of Anti-Gravity Propulsion, physicist Paul LaViolette reveals the secret history of anti-gravity experimentation from Nikola Tesla and T. Townsend Brown to the B-52 Advanced Technology Bomber. He discloses the existence of advanced gravity control technologies under secret military development for decades that could revolutionize air travel and energy production. Included among the secret projects he reveals is the research of Project Sky Vault to develop an aerospace propulsion system using intense beams of microwave energy similar to that used by the strange craft seen flying over Area 51. Using subquantum kinetics, the science behind anti-gravity technology, Dr. LaViolette uh, reviews numerous field propulsion devices and technologies that have thrust to power ratios thousands of times greater than that of a jet engine and whose effects are not explained by conventional physics and relativity theory. He then presents controversial evidence about the NASA cover-up in adopting these advanced technologies. He's also detailing ongoing Russian research to duplicate John Searle's self-propelled levitating disk and shows how the results of the Podkletnov gravity beam experiment could be harnessed to produce an interstellar spacecraft. Dr. Paul LaViolette is standing by on the phone, but first let me welcome my in-studio guest, Victor Vigiani is the executive director of Zeland Communications and the Zeland News Network. His research and analysis of anomalous aerial phenomena spans over three decades. His experience involves UFO sightings, report investigation, counseling work with individuals reporting anomalous experiences, presentations and journalism in the field of ETI disclosure issues. 
Victor, welcome once again, my friend. How are you? I'm just fine. It's just great to be here with you and uh, to talk to Dr. Laviolette. Looking forward to it. Yes, much to mm-hmm. discuss. All I right, bet. let's bring in the aforementioned Dr. Laviolette has been president of the Starburst Foundation since 1984, where he's conducted interdisciplinary research in physics, astronomy, geology, climatology, prebiotic evolution, SETI, psychology, and anthropology. He received his B.A. in physics from Johns Hopkins, his M.B.A. from the University of Chicago, and his Ph.D. in systems science from Portland State University. After conducting occupational safety research at Harvard University, he invented and patented an improved rebreather apparatus. He's conducted solar desalination research for the state of California, done solar energy consulting for the Greek government, hello, and also consulted Hughes Aircraft Corporation on ways to improve company innovation. In 1993, he reversed engineered the B-50, or the, sorry, the B-2 bombers classified propulsion technology and more recently has disclosed and explained the microwave beam technology used to propel vehicles developed in the super-secret Sky Vault project. He's the originator of the subquantum kinetics psych, uh, physics paradigm and also discoverer of the galactic superwave phenomenon, the notion that cosmic ray outbursts from the galactic core periodically trigger major shifts in the Earth's climate. In testing this theory, he became the first to discover high concentrations of cosmic dust and gold in Ice Age polar ice. More recently, he's shown evidence that about 50,000 years ago, Earth was showered by a major influx of tin-rich interstellar dust particles. He's also been shown evidence that an extreme solar event may have been the cause of the Pleistocene mass extinction. He's the author of six books, which include Secrets of Antigravity, Propulsion, Genesis of the Cosmos, Subquantum Kinetics, and uh, we welcome Dr. Paul Leviolette. How are you, sir? Welcome aboard. Glad to be here. <laughs> my, my question is, do you ever have time to get a haircut and mow your front lawn? My goodness. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You're a, a busy guy. <laughs> well, my wife helps out on mowing the lawn. Very good. Terrific. Very good. Just for that. And I don't have that much hair left, but I do get haircuts. <laughs> I, I can identify with that, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Before you, we welcomed you uh, on board, Paul, Victor and I were discussing a little bit of zero point. Neither of us... You know, are certainly qualified to go too in depth. But Victor, you brought up an excellent topic, and that is that perhaps one of the reasons that it hasn't sort of penetrated into mass popular consciousness is it's so esoteric, and there are so few people who can explain it kind of at a street level where we can all understand it and buy into it and say, yeah, let's get behind this thing. What do you think, Dr. Liviellette? Is that maybe one of the stumbling blocks here? Yeah, it could be. I have my own theory or view of zero-point energy, which is different from what the physicists talk about. Well, do tell. It's more easy to understand, but I could start with relating what the physics view is, if you want. Yes, please. They see that space is like a vacuum, essentially, with uh, particles popping in and out of existence uh, everywhere. But they're in pairs, positive and negative particles. So a, be a pair of, like a positron, electron, for example, and then they disappear. And this all would happen so quickly in a blink of an eye that they could uh, essentially say it never happened, or according to, that it wouldn't violate their conservation law. 
And uh, so they, with this idea, they, they say that uh, space is full of this, this energy, of these particles popping in and out of existence. Uh, now, I have a, a different view because I don't believe in space-time and a lot of things. Uh, the, the, the idea that, that this standard idea originated with Dirac. Yeah, okay, it's fine. It's an interesting idea, but I don't believe it corresponds to reality. Uh, my view is that there's an ether. You know, that space is not empty and it's not particles popping in and out of existence. It's uh, ether, which is a substance below the level of particles. Particles are made from the ether. Just like, uh, think of waves in the ocean. The ocean, the water would be like the ether, and the waves would be the particles. And in this case, let's say at times in places where there's no matter at all, where space is what physicists call vacuum or empty, the ether still would have waves. Uh, there would be little fluctuations. There would be, most of them so small, they wouldn't even stand up to the point of being called a particle. Um, so they're like field fluctuations, gravitational and electric, electrogravitic, so, so to speak, fluctuations. Um, and uh, most of them are below the quantum level. But now and then, you would have one very large that would be big enough to nucleate uh, the formation of a subatomic particle. And that would be a violation of energy conservation. And that's why physicists wouldn't like what I'm saying. <laughs> it's, a, it's a violation because why? It seemingly comes from, some, from nowhere? From nowhere, so to speak. Uh, it comes into existence where there wasn't a particle before. Now you have a particle. Hmm. Where is it coming from? Another dimension? No, it's like from the ether. In this uh, physics, I, I deal with subquantum kinetics, which is uh, ether physics I've been developing for 40 years, which uh, has quite a following. I believe it's probably the major contestant to standard physics. Um, it has made 14 predictions that have been confirmed. Uh, more than any other theory I know of, uh, it, uh, it's, it's take on a life of its own now. It's not what I consider my theory. It's, uh, a lot of people are, it has a whole following. In fact, we have a working group, uh, that gets together every Sunday to do modeling of the equations. The equation, it'd be much simpler to understand than standard physics. Really? Give us in a fact, sense of the potentiality. Uh, in my opinion, you, you should throw out all of modern physics. I wish I could have said that in high school. <laughs> I would have. <laughs> I, can, I can list uh, the things to throw out. But before, let me say that, uh, a quote from uh, William Tompkins. Are you familiar with him? Mm -hmm. He's written a book called uh, uh, Selected by Extraterrestrials. He uh we wouldn't have gotten to the moon if it wasn't for this guy. He was working at Douglas Aircraft in very highly classified um, positions. And he introduced the idea of the theater screen uh, idea where if you see NASA at their rocket launches, they have all these TV screens up on the wall. That was his idea. 
he was the first guy to suggest clean rooms for assembling rockets. They never would have gotten off the ground if it wasn't for this guy. And uh, he wrote a book that was published a few years ago about his experience, his life experience. And in one interview two years ago, he talks about something that Secretary of the Navy Admiral Forrestal was told, which was kept quiet all these years, and now he revealed it. Forrestal was told that every book in the libraries and the colleges and the universities, every book on this planet is misinformation. Hmm. All over this planet, books are not telling the truth, whether it's medical, solar system, astronomy, or science. Every person, every Ph.D. on the planet has been given misinformation. It's like Lloyd Pye's book, Everything You Know is Wrong. I wouldn't say everything. In the hmm. case of physics, uh, you can keep classical physics. In fact, you know, when I was studying physics, I found classical physics very easy to understand. But for the first two years, we'd study, like, Newton's laws and uh, things like this. And uh, what is force and so on, mass, energy, energy uh, conservation. Then we got to the third year, and they, they threw modern physics at us, relativity, uh, wave particles, Copenhagen interpretation, all this kind of stuff. And I tell you, it throws you for a loop. Let me just go back to zero point, if I could, for a moment. I mean, I've heard some amazing analogies about the potential of zero point. If you could, well, give us your analogy. What is the potential if we could tap into this ether, zero-point energy? Well, I'd rather say tapping into the prime mover of the ether. The ether is not something that's static. It's got, in subquantum kinetics, it's a flux. It's sort of like the uh, ancient qi idea of the ancient Chinese or the prana of the ancient Hindus. It's more like Alfred North Whitehead's view of physics, that what's called process philosophy, Henry Bergson, the idea that existence is based on process, not structure. Physics uh, views everything based on structure, like particles glued together, it's uh, below level, like quarks and gluons holding them together to form particles, things like this. Subquantum kinetics arose out of more of a Heraclitian concept. You know, Heraclitus, uh, ancient Greek philosopher, right. was saying that in reality everything is like a river flowing, and we are in this river. So that's where your source, your main source to tap into. I gave a lecture at the uh, Breakthrough Energy Conference, Global Breakthrough Energy Conference. They had a session in uh, Amsterdam, near Amsterdam, uh, just about a little over a week ago. I, I don't know if you've heard of this conference. Yes, yes. It's every every mm-hmm. year they have it. You know, I was presenting um, some of these ideas there. And in my opinion, um, the um, standard zero-point energy concept is sort of overblown because, I mean, if you go to the standard view, uh, you do have, a, according to them, a lot of energy in every cubic centimeter of space. If you go to the subquantum kinetics view, you don't have really that much. You have to wait around maybe uh, a million years for a particle to uh, spontaneously create in, in the room, you know. So you're not going to get that much energy out of the, these little fluctuations. 
uh, and, you know, there's people that are, are they have ideas to uh, tap this with special capacitors with Casimir uh, effect and so on. Um, so I think what they're really tapping is more waves existing, bouncing around. Where so this we are, this idea than, that this idea that we could um, we could harness we could power the planet with the strength of multiple suns we could we could solve the Earth's energy problems forever travel the solar system beyond the solar system uh, take our place among the stars that's not feasible. You're saying it sounds it like yeah it is, but not the way they're thinking. They they don't. Without first acknowledging the existence of the ether, they're going to be way back in the 20th, 20th century. You know, if you wonder, uh, technology hasn't really changed that much in our lifetime, and neither has physics, for that matter. I mean, we still have the Big Bang Theory, and yet it was disproved a long time ago. Uh, it's sort of like everything is ossified, just like in the Matrix. Right. I mean, we're still, we're still transmitting electricity the same way we did 100 years ago. Exactly, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, I, it, there is an inertia to everything. I mean, there's greed and uh, the interest of the companies to not tool up with new ideas. You know, I tried, I had, you mentioned I had a patent. I tried to uh, uh, sell some rebreather companies. So the idea of my more, it was a better way of doing things. And, Basically, the problem was they didn't want to spend the money to change what they were doing if they didn't have to, even though people were actually losing their lives using using what they had. Um, so the same, you know, uh, the system's set up in a certain way, and there's this inertia, and then there's uh, people believe there's people behind the scenes pulling strings to make sure that nothing changes, and that they've got their hand in the till. Well, Victor, I want to I want to send it over to you as we uh, kind of recover from uh, kind of a lunch bag letdown on zero point energy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, yeah, I, I guess that's one way to describe it. And you know, in any of the dialogue or discourse that I've heard about uh, zero point energy and and inchoate matter and and how you draw that energy from the quantum vacuum. Um, and I know Hal Putoff has some very specific ideas about it, and I've, I've listened to some of his commentary, and the one piece of commentary that he does um, uh, frequently put forward um, is this whole idea that if we can draw whatever energy is out there, and uh, I stand to be corrected, I'm just repeating with the message that, 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 that Dr. Putoff uh, has told us, that in one cup of this stuff, if, if you can quantify it and put it in a... Whatever it could, it could boil uh, all the water uh, on the in the on the oceans on the planet, and now what, is he is he you know is that is that a, another lunch bag letdown? I'm not quite sure, but if if that's if that's the matter, if that's the case, if someone like and Dr. Putoff uh, is espousing this type of uh, uh, I, I guess theory or the, the possibility of this, um, where does that leave zero point energy in the context of what uh, Dr. Laviolette just said? And then I guess I, I'd like to. Try transition into the idea of anti-gravitics and does it have any kind of relationship to what we're talking about 
And once again, that's coming from a former school principal who, <laughs> what I know about physics, you could fit in a flea's navel and still have room for three caraway seeds. <laughs> okay? So, I mean, we're talking about someone who's at, at ground zero here with, with that. As, I, I'd like to know what the relationship is between um, with this whole idea of the quantum vacuum and, and this, the anti-gravitic technologies that we know, that we know is being experimented. Okay, but let, yeah. let me... Uh, yeah. Go ahead, yeah, your please. Anxiety, uh, <laughs> if you take <laughs> Putoff's idea and the standard physics view of zero-point energy, right. and you bring that energy, really, that's misplaced. They, the energy source is not at the quantum level. It's at the sub-quantum. Because uh, zero-point energy is a quantum phenomenon. It's particles coming in and out of existence, right. quantum particles. But uh, what you have to do is go down to the subquantum, the etheric level. And if you realize the ether is driven by a flux, it's a transmuting ether. Uh, And at the lecture I gave a few weeks ago, I I showed that, for example, magnetic field. There's a lot of free energy machines that are magnetic motors. They're Mm self-propelled. And the question is, where does the magnetic field come from? Uh, what is powering or uh, energizing the magnetic field of a magnet? And it, and it comes down to electron spin. And what is electron spin? Physics never tells you. So you, you're up at a, against a wall there. Uh, but in subquantum kinetics, it, it explains what it is. It's basically, and there are other ether theories, too, that talk about it, that it's an ether vortex. And, and magnetic field is a vortex in the ether. And in subquantum kinetics, it explains how this vortex is generated and why. And it's generated inside the subatomic particle because there's fluxes going in and out from the center of the particle. Uh, and it's sort of like uh, Reich's idea, to give you some analogy, you know, Wilhelm Reich, he was talking about etheric fluxes going into the earth, for example, and coming out. Um, and uh, these, the, these fluxes, the reason that they're occurring is because there's this subquantum flux driving these reactions. It's sort of difficult without showing you pictures okay, but of what's if, going on. So if we park zero-point energy and we talk about subquantum kinetics, then the subquantum, mm-hmm. the etheric field, is that where the potential is? That's to- where the source of energy is, and that's what Tesla was talking about when he was saying about connecting to the wheelwork of nature. Mm. Tesla's wheelwork, I believe he realized, he spoke about the ether, and he realized it was uh, a uh, an active ether. Um, he, he was into into the um, the views of uh, the Theosophist Society uh, at that time. Also, Mendeleev, the originator of the uh, periodic table, chemist. Um, he had his own ether theory, which involved chemical-like transmutations, but going on at the etheric level. And that's essentially what subquantum kinetics is. Imagine chemical reactions going on, but they're not at the chemical level, they're at the etheric level. Okay, so forget zero-point energy, move over zero-point energy, let's talk about subquantum kinetics. What is the potential there, then? Yeah, 
Well, this is just one example of the type of free energy. Now, uh, you could explain, for example, uh, anti-gravity, like electrogravitics. Electrogravitics comes out of subquantum kinetics as a prediction. It just falls right out. Because uh, in standard physics, it teaches Einstein's theory that all matter is uh, positive mass, or in other words, gravity wells that would attract each other. In subquantum kinetics, it predicts that only positively charged particles, like protons, uh, are producing gravity wells. Negative particles, like electrons, negative charge, are producing gravity hills. They're anti-gravitic. And the only way you can see that... Because you can't see it with uh, <clears throat> particle experiments because the gravi- gravity field is so weak compared to the electric field. So what you have to do is put huge numbers of particles on a capacitor, like charge up a capacitor to, mil- uh, to well, hundreds of thousands of volts like Townsend Brown did, and he had the positive charge on one side of the capacitor and negative charge on the other, and he found that the the capacitor itself, if he suspended it like a pendulum, it would swing towards the positive pole as if there was a gravitational force created between its plates pulling it. <clears throat> and this is just what uh, subquantum kinetics predicts. <clears throat> so subquantum physics predicts anti-gravitics. Mm. Uh, uh, so... In fact, uh, this is how I got into the field of anti-gravitics. I was working on subquantum kinetics, and I was worried about this fact that it was predicting that charge and gravity are correlated. <clears throat> and I thought, well, maybe my theory is wrong. And that, that's when I discovered Townsend Brown's work, which validated it. And I started getting into his work, and that's what got me into uh, anti-gravity and all the esoteric stuff. Back in the 50s, uh, I think it was Boeing, they were talking about we're on, we're on the cusp, we're on the cusp with anti-gravitics. And then mm. there was a certain, it was like an iron curtain came down and you didn't hear anything more from Boeing about anti-gravitics, so, which leads right. to two possible conclusions. One, they ran into a dead end, they were embarrassed, they just didn't want to talk about it anymore. Or they had a breakthrough and they didn't want to talk about it anymore. Which do you mm. think is correct? Mm. Well, actually, it wasn't just Boeing. It was all the major aerospace companies. So you could list maybe 20 aerospace companies that were studying electrogravitics in the 50s. And then the whole subject went dark around between 57 and 59. And you didn't see any more articles reporting on it. You know, you'd see articles in the Herald Tribune or a product engineering magazine. People in these aerospace companies would be talking about what they were doing. And then after that date, uh, nobody said anything, and uh, there was nothing published. And eventually everyone forgot about it. And it it was due to a secrecy order. It was a clampdown. And And, um, my eyes were opened when I... uh, came across, well, there was a, uh, I went to Library of Congress in, uh, when was it, 1985, to look up the topic of electrogravitics. I figured that's the biggest library in the U.S., and 
they should have something on this subject. And there was just one document in the whole library, <laughs> and it was called Electrogravitic Systems. By a, it was a study, think tank study put out by Aviation Studies. They're sort of uh, catered to the military industry. And I requested it, and it came back that it was missing from the stacks. And so I said, okay, can we do a, a search, uh, like interlibrary search? And the guy said, this is strange. I said, what? He said, well, there's only one copy in the whole interlibrary loan uh, uh, system, uh, right. search, and, and it only... Ended up being Wright Patterson Air Force Base. <laughs> well, big surprise there. So I uh, put in a request, uh, crossed my fingers, and they actually sent it. And I uh, made many copies of it. And then uh, I was sharing it with friends for many, for several years. And then uh, Tom Ballone said, "Well, we should get this out." And so I worked with Tom. We he published it in his book, Electrogravitic Systems, along with my paper, uh, Reverse Engineering the B-2 Bomber, which uses Townsend Brown's technology, in my opinion. That, that originated as a paper I presented at a conference, and uh, that was uh, the beginning of my uh, uh, research in anti-gravity, and it eventually developed into my book, Secrets of Anti-Gravity Propulsion, and I added a lot of other technologies. And all of these uh, technologies can be understood in the framework of the ether concept, particularly subquantum kinetics. In, in, in your estimation, um, uh, how many other physicists of, of your stature, uh, this is a two-part question, uh, are, are sort of in line with you in terms of this uh, subquantum level of, of, of energy um, as opposed to what the zero-point vacuum describes? That's the first part. How many people are really kind of in line with that? And then, well, if Tesla was here, he would agree with me. Uh, oh, there you go. Well, that's um, good We're going to get to the second part of that question and the answer on the other side. Let's uh, do that. Just uh, hold tight, sit tight, and uh, we will come back with Dr. Paul LaViolette and Victor Vigiani as we continue to discuss a free energy, anti-gravitics, UFO propulsion. Hi there. I want to tell you about a podcast I know you're going to love. It's called The Dead Files from Travel Channel. On The Dead Files, Amy Allen and Steve DeShabi investigate the paranormal activity haunting real people and homes across the United States. Amy and Steve come from totally different perspectives when they investigate. Amy's a medium. She sees and speaks to dead people and uses this skill to find out why someone might be haunting a place. Steve is a retired homicide detective. He tackles the case from the other end of the spectrum and uses public records and witness accounts to piece together the history of the haunted location. On every episode, Steve and Amy investigate a different, real haunting to help the family struggling with its effects. On one episode in Falconer, New York, a family keeps waking up with scratches and bruises. They also see a shadow figure lurking around their home. They call Amy and Steve to investigate. Amy uses her strength as a medium to understand who the presence is coming from and why it's so angry. Separately, Steve finds out the history of the house from the townspeople and in public records. He finds that several people who lived in this house died, which matches Amy's findings. At the end of the episode, Steve and Amy share their findings and make a recommendation on whether it's safe to stay in the house or time to get out. 
There are so many crazy stories on the dead files. And what's interesting about Amy and Steve is that they investigate the hauntings from two totally different perspectives. You listen to my podcast because you love tales of the paranormal. But if you want more, listen to The Dead Files wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The highly anticipated second season of the hit podcast Proof is finally here. Proof is an investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here. Proof made headlines for its first season in 2022 after proving the innocence of two Georgia men serving life sentences for murdering their friend Brian Bowling when they were just 17 years old. 25 years later, on December 8th, 2022, both men were finally freed based on evidence unearthed by Proof. In the second season of Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, Susan and Jacinda are on the case again, this time traveling the streets of Manteca, California, to uncover who really murdered 18-year-old Rene Ramos. On June the 5th, 2000, Ramos's body was found buried under a pile of debris inside the shell of a new Home Depot building. Despite tips hinting at alternate suspects, tips that were ignored until now, Renee's boyfriend, 18-year-old skateboarder Jake Silva, and Ty Lopez, the 33-year-old uncle of one of Jake's close friends, were arrested and convicted of her murder. Fans of true crime and investigative series won't want to miss this riveting new season. Follow the case as Susan and Jacinda uncover long-overlooked evidence about what really happened to Renee by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Samantha Cole, host of the new season of Understood, The Pornhub Empire. Over the course of four episodes, I'll tell you how a horny YouTube knockoff in Canada came to dominate the porn world, only to shatter their cheeky reputation in a massive scandal. The Pornhub Empire is a new season of Understood from the CBC. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. Time once again to say hello to Colleen Forgus, our full script dispensary manager, nutritional therapist. How are you, Colleen? I'm wonderful, Richard. How are you? Terrific. You know, after the holidays, people sort of make resolutions. They're going to start eating healthier. We've been indulging so much over the holidays. Some of us want to detox. What do you have for us? The product I recommend is called NAC. It's by Biotics Research. NAC stands for N-acetyl-L-cysteine, and it's actually a precursor to the master antioxidant glutathione. Oh, so it, what does it do? It helps you produce glutathione? It does. It helps our body to produce it naturally. And it also is wonderful for people that are having breathing issues. So if someone's a smoker or COPD, it, this might be helpful for them. If you have an intense workout, this is great for recovery. So there's lots of good things about NAC and it especially helps with detox. Terrific. To get your NAC, all you need to do is go to strangeplanet.ca and click on the full script dispensary button and then register. Remember, all orders receive 10% off and orders of $50 or more ship for free. These products have not been evaluated by the FDA and are not intended to treat, diagnose, or cure. If you have a medical concern, please consult your health care provider.
astrophysicists say that there is as many as 12 hyperdimensions. Here are just three of them. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Pretty cool, huh? Uh, here's an extra one. Conspiracy Unlimited. Hey, how about one more? Conspiracy Unlimited. And the great thing is we have six hyperdimensions left. Conspiracy Unlimited. Five. Or something like that. I'll ask Richard later. Victor Vigiani and Dr. Paul LaViolette are here talking zero-point energy, the etheric field, anti-gravity, and UFO propulsion. Victor, before the break, you had asked Dr. LaViolette about how many other uh, physicists, aside from Nikola Tesla, um, are sort of on on side. And then you had a second question. Well, related to that, and if you have that constituency of of, uh, physicists that are sort of uh, advocating the the theory that you're talking about, and, and then I guess the second part of my question is, are you aware of any practical... Um, the existence of any practical applications of anti-gravitic technology that are in existence right now, either military or, or otherwise. Yeah, well, uh, as far as physicists, uh, I would say maybe uh, I, I haven't. It's difficult to say because maybe thousands. Uh, my books are fairly well read it's gone through four editions after all the theory's been around for 40 years um, space command has taken an interest in it uh, a way of you know uh, building uh, anti-gravitic uh, craft <clears throat> um, <clears throat> it's cited in uh, it's been cited in many journals uh the, the theory was first published not in a physics journal, but in a systems journal. Because basically, in a, you know, general system theory, you're familiar with that? Not really. Hmm. <clears throat> Above my pay grade, I'm afraid. Hmm. It's um, viewing uh, nature in terms of systems, like your body is a system. Right, okay. Uh, it's made of cells, and cells are also a system. And... Uh, one common denominator that you're taught in this field is that uh, things are in life, life, living systems are like open systems, and they're based on flux of their components. And uh, this has been applied, this model has been applied in the field of education, business administration. That fact, that's where I first learned about it was in uh, business school. Uh, and I had been developing my own system theory on my own when I discovered it. And I was quite relieved to see that other people had follow, followed the same path. I don't know if you're familiar with Irvin Laszlo. You heard of him, philosopher. Uh, he's uh, published a lot on system theory. Right. right. And uh, in fact, he's a supporter of subquantum kinetics. Uh, lectured at his uh, symposia and. Uh, uh, so basically, subquantum kinetics is an application of systems principles to physics, to microphysics. Nobody had done that before. You know, systems theory had been applied to all these other fields. So my inspiration was, hey, you know, uh, some of these new things coming out, like chemical waves that were, were being discovered in the 70s, early 70s, um, the Brusselator Prigogine, Ilya Prigogine, was doing research with the Brussels School on the Brusselator 
developed by a fellow named Lefebvre. Um, these were all like the these were re- chemical reaction systems. They were open systems uh, that would produce patterns. And I thought, well, these patterns look like they. If I tweak them a little bit, if I tweak the equations, like the Brusselator reaction equations, which is a set of four equations, kinetic equations, uh, I could produce uh, what Einstein referred to as bunched fields, like uh, that particles are essentially bunched fields. They're, they're not solid in any way. They're, they're field concentrations. And in this case, fields, what are fields in this physics? They're etheron concentrations. Excuse me, Doctor uh, Laviolette. I don't want to get uh, too deep into the into the reads okay, here. Okay, we don't have to go that deep. But I, you you had you know it's in your biography that you in 1993 you reversed engineered the B the B two bomber uh, right. classified propulsion technology. Were were there aspects of antigravitics utilized on that B B two bomber? Now that's more uh, what's called field propulsion. Um, <clears throat> What Townsend Brown referred to as electrokinetics as opposed to electrogravitics. And it, it, it's a case where if you have a capacitor uh, where it's asymmetrical, asymmetrical, meaning that one plate is larger than the other, you're going to get unbalanced forces on it. And that's going to move it. And Brown did experiments with these and he showed he could lift a asymmetrical saucer off his workbench along with 10% weight in addition by putting 150,000 volts on it. So it's not technically anti-gravitic, but it has what? The same effect? Right. And I'm not saying the B-2 bomber doesn't also have anti-gravitic thrusters. Uh, It could have in its wing. Uh, But the propulsion system where it was disclosed by some... Uh, through leaks of some engineers who were black ops engineers uh, were saying that it charges the leading edge of its wing and it discharges the opposite ions in its exhaust and it ends up creating this this multi-million dollar uh, excuse me, multi-million volt field across its wing Uh, in fact uh, so the wing itself becomes very negatively charged compared to the exhaust. So uh, what, is, what is the net effect of that? I'm, I'm guessing, what, huge fuel savings? Yeah, we well, see it creates a huge force moving the craft forward, this unbalanced force. And as a result, you could actually at one point shut off your jet engines, which are... Really, they're ion generators. Ah, but, now we're getting somewhere. I, I, I believe it's in a book by James McDonald, uh, Doctor Doctor Levy, mm-hmm. uh, regarding this whole idea of um, the, the 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 wing edges of the B two bomber, and that mm-hmm. they are be, that they become uh, electrified somehow or charged somehow with it with the, the wing the forward wing edges, and mm-hmm. uh, as this charge. Uh, is is e- emitted? It's emitted forward to tell the mass of of air in front of it to get out of the way, right? So it that does do that, right? It, yeah, so that the, this the craft can move forward more quickly and not rely on, uh, I guess, the engines itself. So as a result of that, 
um, it, 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 it in fact does move more quickly. There's no resistance. There's, or it's lessened, or it's right. very little resistance. Right. Yeah. Is that kind of what we're talking about here? Well, well that's uh, involved, but it's not the main force pushing it forward. Right, that's exactly. just reducing air friction. That's right. It's, and okay. you could use that on airplanes, too. Right. And they don't do it. They exactly. Don't. Exactly, yeah. Uh, but it's, it's what I was saying is this huge, uh, force. It's an unbalanced force that pushes the craft forward because you've got negative ions mm-hmm. in back that are putting a huge force on the tailpipe of the B2. Uh, a repulsive force because the tailpipe is negative, the, mm-hmm. the exhaust. Uh, whereas the ions in back are also negative, and so you have this huge force pushing on it. On the other hand, the positive ions coming out the front <clears throat> off the wing, because the B2 is going forward, they angle back in the bow shock. So they also put a repulsive force on the front leading edge, which pushes in the forward direction. Uh, if you can picture that, you have to mm-hmm. see a diagram of this mm-hmm. whole thing. And so in that the result is you get this forward propulsion and like I was saying, at one point you can actually uh, cut off the fuel supply, and B2 has got air scoops on its engines, and it, basically you're scooping in air, electrifying it, and that electrified exhaust goes out the back, and it acts like a Van de Graaff generator, because uh, they, even though they electrify it with only 50,000 volts, let's say, like you're your room air ionizer, a little more than that. Um, By the time it gets out the exhaust, it travels down the length of the turbine, uh, it's gone up to millions of volts. And they pick up some of that with a plate, and they recycle it back. So um, they power the plane, actually, with this energy they're picking up from the forward motion of the plane. And, and what kind of speed are we, airspeed are we talking about? What's the potential there? Uh, well, uh, my, I, I don't, what's, uh, you know, it's classified, and I, I don't know, I haven't heard, you know, but... Uh, Could you speculate? Yeah, speculate. Uh, <laughs> Mach 10. Mach 10. My goodness. And, Victor, you pointed out because uh, there'd be no sonic boom, right? Well, that's the whole problem. Uh, we're, now we're getting into the whole idea of the UFO issue, okay, the, or UAP, whatever you want to call them, that uh, in, in, in my 40 years of interaction with this, with this whole question is that we have these craft of unknown origin coming into our own airspace, our dense airspace, and they're moving at 10, 15, 20,000 miles an hour. And uh, this is what we're told, and they don't create a sonic boom. And, which is totally antithetical towards any kind of, you know, aerodynamics and flight dynamics that we're, that we're accustomed to. So the question is, uh, if these B2 machines that you're, that you're describing can utilize this kind of input of energy to, uh, electrify their wing edges, uh, I guess the bottom line question in my mind is, do these so-called craft of unknown origin or UFOs use a similar kind of propulsion system to move not only within our own airspace, but in the quantum vacuum of, you know, in the vacuum no, of space. No, use more sophisticated stuff. This yeah. is a relatively primitive. <laughs> exactly, yeah. There's yeah. many ways to skin the cat. Yeah. Uh, and they, they've skinned the cat pretty well, from what I understand. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, you, you could, uh, for example, charge uh, a saucer to very negative potential, and uh, like I said, subquantum kinetics, you're creating an anti-gravitic field by doing that. Mm -hmm. uh, and the higher you go in negative potential, the more lighter, basically, it would get. The craft would get, yeah. So, in in essence, the uh, I guess the, the bottom line question in my mind right now, and on a practical and, and, I guess, political level, is does the fossil fuel industry have anything to fear from this kind of uh, new technology or, or the, the design of the theory that you're talking about? Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, it would cut down the need for fuel. I mean, the B2 doesn't have to be fueled. They can go as long as they want, scooping air and uh, recycling the energy to keep going. Uh, so that's a real advantage, not having to fuel the B-2. They could make that available to the commercial airline industry. Right, and, and I, I've argued for that. Uh, I, uh, I, I've tried to, uh, to, to make those statements publicly and... Uh, <laughs> Every, everything is sort of locked in place, of course, is this classification. Uh, <clears throat> so the government hasn't been willing to release yet the technology to industry. You the, know. Does the government have that uh, ability to decide to release or not Look, to release? Look, all the major aerospace companies that uh, make planes, at least like Boeing, you know, they're doing secret projects, too. They know all about this. And uh, they tried to declassify one aspect of uh, technology they had. It may have been field propulsion, I forget. <clears throat> and they were told no. Now, all this might change because they say we're going through a pro process of disclosure now. <clears throat> so these years, uh, just these few years, we're in a different era, building the space force, and supposedly make people more aware of what's going on in space, the secret space program. They're trying to find a way to inform people what we're doing out there. Probably they're running out of ways to capture money, you know, like <clears throat> siphon it off of Las Vegas probably isn't not working as well as it used to. <clears throat> but they have probably set up an economy out there it's been, this has been stated, you know, the idea of the off-planet breakaway uh, civilization. civilization. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they can be, in fact, mining asteroids and whatever, you know, all sorts of raw materials out there, easily accessible. Iron, uh, tritium from the moon, uh, gold, uh, platinum, you name it, you know. Meanwhile, we're still using, you know, solid rocket fuel and jeopardizing the lives of astronauts when it's all totally unnecessary, right? Now, I think the thing that is really going to make the move into the free energy is going to break everything open is uh, running cars on water. You've heard of this, right? Oh, yes. Hydrogen, yes. yeah. And uh, Ken, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, what, one inventor recently, he's got a company uh, uh, who's uh, made a major breakthrough, and he can run a car on 99.9% uh, 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 water and 0.1% gas. Uh, <clears throat> he needs the gas to get it started, basically. And he, 
he extracts the water right out of the atmosphere with a condenser, so he doesn't even have to fill up. You know. And he's planning a uh, a coast to coast caravan with uh, vans, and it'll be he'll be accompanied by a whole bunch of other vans for security purposes uh, to show everyone that this is possible to open people's eyes. You know, get news coverage and uh, um, and there's uh, various technologies for tapping uh, energy of water also Randall Mills has a technology where he claims to get a megawatt of power out of a little thing called a sun cell you've heard of Randall Mills uh, yes, device yes I have yes yep and uh, <clears throat> now that's not understandable in current uh, physics uh, Mills has a three-volume book he put out, reordering, reorganizing quantum theory. Okay, that concludes part one. Before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back with a few words on part two. If you want to support my work here at Strange Planet, please consider becoming an official donor. It's easy. Just go to patreon.com forward slash strange planet. There are several donation tiers to choose from, from a dollar per month to $50 a month. New donors at the $10, $20, and $50 per month tier receive a free mug from my Strange Planet shop. Donors in the $20 tier also have their names appear on a crawl during the YouTube live stream of my weekly radio program, The Conspiracy Show. And donors in the $50 tier receive a special on-air thank you on my radio program. Whatever you give, your support helps keep my radio program and this podcast going. Help me pursue the truth wherever it leads. Patreon.com forward slash strange planet. Thank you and God bless. Coming up Wednesday on Conspiracy Unlimited, part two of my conversation with Victor Vigiani and Dr. Paul LaViolette. Project Skyball, and that started at the end of World War II, and basically the idea of lifting craft on beams of energy, microwave beams. Basically, they found a way of bottling the energy up in the beam, sort of like a Star Trek phaser idea. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting.